welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. Yes, welcome back. We are now on episode three, technically four, since I'm sure most of you have listened to the Halloween bonus episode that we put out. If you haven't, you're missing out. You need to go listen to it. It's quite funny. Yes, we had such a great time recording that episode. I did. Uh, We will be doing more holiday episodes as bonus episodes, and they're probably going to not be as edited as some are just to kind of really show our personalities in them yes and before we get too far into this episode i'm going to go ahead and apologize now for sounding like shit i am getting over covid not fun (laughs) yeah spicy is correct not the fun spicy though no oh is there any spicy that really is fun Mm, yes oh okay well my mind was in food you (laughs) pervert Well, it is what it is. So, we're going to change our format a little bit for this episode because the stories that Sarah and I have chosen for this week kind of go hand in hand, but hers going first makes more sense than me going first. Yeah, mine is going to talk about something and it's very focused on one thing. Mm-hmm. Yours is focused also, but there's a lot extra in yours. Right. They'll understand once we're oh. once we're through it. Yep. So we are, what, five, six days away from Halloween? It's the time where we're going to be releasing this, and I hope yes. you guys have had some fun Halloween activities planned out or have participated in some. Let us know on our Facebook group, because we would love to hear from you guys on what you guys are planning for Halloween, what costumes you might have planned or whatever. If you have pictures of you you and your family and friends or whoever, post them in our Facebook group. We would love to see those. We'll also take drunken party pictures. Those are always fun. So what's been one of your most favorite Halloween costumes you've ever had? Does it have to be, like, recent? Could be recent or... I don't know. I'm... As simple as it was, it was super comfortable, but the one that you and I did together where we were Jack and Coke. Oh, yeah, because we were literally just wearing regular-ass clothes and (laughs) t-shirts because we were lazy that year. Yeah, but... Or is it... That was the same year that I smoked, like, what, 15, 20 um, pounds of pulled pork for your sister? Yeah, yeah, it was a crazy amount, and you were up super early to Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah, that was a crazy one. Yeah, which... It would have been great to know that her neighbor two houses down had that giant smoker going on. Uh, could have been like, hey, can I just throw these in there and I can go take a nap real quick, guy? That'd be great. No, because then, <laughs> no. Because you don't know that he'd tend to it the way that you tended to it. No, you didn't see the size of, you didn't see the smoker. He knew what he was doing with this thing. No, I didn't see the smoker. Yeah, this was one of those pull-behind trailers. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, like, okay. like one of the big pull-behind competition ones we've seen. Wow. Yeah, that's what this guy had. That's crazy. So. Smoking meats. Smoking meats. (laughs) God. (laughs) So, now that after Sarah's chanted about smoking meats, which unfortunately I haven't got to do too much this year. No, prices on meat are stupid. Yeah. Well, you know, we still got, you know, our family hookup for cheese that's going to be coming on later this year. Yeah, buddy. Yep. I'm waiting on that. So. um, Also, if you don't have a man that smokes you meat and cheese, like... 
What are you doing with your life? <laughs> Honestly. Sorry, just had to throw that in there. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure now we'll probably get comments. It's like, well, I can't have him in my apartment complex. Well, that I understand. Or something similar to that. It's like, oh, I'm too lazy. Yeah, we know. Yeah. Like them, the apartment that my sister lives in, making her get rid of her tiny little grill. Yeah, I... Because they want her to use, they want them to use the one that's by the pool, like a community grill. You know that like, nobody's cleaning that. Well, like the ones that you see, I like a park. Yeah. Yeah, not gonna happen. Yeah, and her, you know, her like, don't touch my, you know, my food. Don't, mm -hmm. don't take a drink off my, you know, my drink. Yeah. She's very much when she's cooking, like that's that's her her well, thing. Oh like, yeah, I've seen how she's gone going uh, in to cook after other people's just yeah, not her I mean, thing. That part might be headed out because yeah, I've seen her gun full carrying it, setting up for Halloween parties. But, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> she, yeah, that's very true. All right, maybe we should now get down to serious business. Well, maybe not so serious business here. Not so serious business. Other podcast. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Yes. All right. All right, let's get down to serious business and brass tacks and hard facts or something like that. I don't fucking know. <laughs> trying to steer us back on course here because our squirrels are running off, <laughs> off, the, off the path went, here. I went rampant. <laughs> anyways. Yes, so anyways. My case this week is true crime. Again, I did state, you know, in our intro, whatever, that true crime is what I like listening to the most. Mm -hmm. And that's probably, well, that's not probably. That is why they're going to hear it more from me right. than they would from you. Right. Even though some of my true crime cases, but even though it's going to be more weird history and things like that for me, you know, I'm still going to have to do one. But after the one, I decided to, you know, go full throttle at a thousand miles an hour for my first true crime case that I chose for San Ysidro as my first one. Yeah. Um, I'm probably not going to be ready for that again anytime soon or pick one that's not as lack awful. of a, awful. Yeah, because I was going to use a term that high of a body count that's just kind of shitty to use yeah so anyhow i know we said we're not going to be giving trigger warnings but for this case i am as it does involve minors so i know that there's moms that can't you know really handle listening to stuff about minors right. um they weren't like little little kids they were right. young teens but it's still minors and in my eyes they're still children right there are going to be details added that may be hard for some of you to hear as they were hard for me to read Right. And probably going to be hard for me to pass on to you guys. Mm -hmm. So that's your warning. So, yeah, maybe not so much of a trigger warning. It's more of a listener. Listener and discretion is advised. Yeah. Kind of thing. Definitely. So. so my case is on Sylvia Likens and the torture mother. I don't like that they call this bitch a torture mother because it has mother in her name. Right. Even though she is a mom, like she doesn't she doesn't deserve that recognition in my eyes i don't know why i've heard this name before but you might have i probably have but it's just that triggering kind of like when you're watching a movie when you see like you know johnny depp or somebody and like stage makeup like oh i know who that is but you totally cannot remember their name that's probably that's what's going on here it could be maybe it'll catch up to you as i you know read so Sylvia Likens was born on January 3rd, 1949, which is the same year my mom was born. 
She was born in Lebanon, Indiana to Lester and Betty Likens. She was the middle child of the five Likens children. There were two sets of fraternal twins. The younger twins were Benny and Jenny, and the older twins were Diana and Daniel. Lester and Betty didn't have the most stable of marriages. They regularly experienced extreme financial issues, causing them to move a lot, as they would get kicked out of the places they resided in due to non-payment. They spent a good amount of their time in the summers working at concession stands and carnivals in and around Indiana. The Likens boys often traveled with their parents to help them out. However, Sylvia and Jenny were not allowed to go due to their schooling and the parents basically wanting to just keep them safe. The girls had to stay with family members more often than not with their grandmother. Jenny had polio, which caused one of her legs to be weak, leaving her with a limp and a steel brace, which would have made travel a little more challenging for them. Growing up, Sylvia, or Cookie as her friends referred to her, was always seen and described as a beautiful, confident, and friendly young woman. She usually kept her mouth closed due to missing one of her front teeth. She absolutely loved the Beatles and music in general. She liked to roller skate, and even with a limp, her sister Jenny would help her with that. In Sylvia's teenage years, she found ways to make her own money, even though she would give some of that money to her mother. Sylvia would run errands, iron clothing for her neighbors, and babysit the neighborhood kids. When 1965 rolled around, the Likens were living in Indianapolis. Betty, Sylvia's mom, got caught, arrested, and jailed for shoplifting. This set a line of events up that would require the Likens' parents to join a traveling circus and, and head east. Not wanting to take the girls along with them, they left both Sylvia and Jenny with a woman named Gertrude Beneshevsky. Upon this boarding agreement, Gertrude promised Lester, the dad, okay. that she would care for and love for the, their children as she did her own. After the 4th of July, the girls moved to 3850 East New York Street in Indianapolis to stay with Gertrude, who was supposed to be paid $20 weekly to take care of them. The Likens girls were pleasantly surprised the first few weeks there as they didn't get punished for anything that they did wrong. Sylvia and Jenny went to Sunday school and willingly helped with household chores. They were getting along great with one of Gertrude's daughters, Stephanie. Everything seemed to be working out well, until it wasn't. Gertrude Nadine Manischewski, also known as Gertrude Wright, was born on September 19, 1929. She was the third of six children, but unfortunately there's not much known about her childhood other than her being very close to her dad and very distant from her mother. When Gertrude's father passed away from a heart attack in 1940, this solidified the distance between mother and daughter. She dropped out of school at the age of 16 to marry a young deputy named John Banaszewski. Together they had four children. He was not the best of men. He often beat Gertrude for being annoying. She wound up staying in that marriage for 10 years before divorcing him and taking her children with her. After leaving John, she married a second man named Edward and they divorced a mere three months after eloping because he got sick of Gertrude and her children. After this divorce, she wound up recoupling with John and stayed together for about seven years and had two more children. They divorced for the second and final time in 1963 when she was 37 years old. Now, Gertrude, this is the mother, quote-unquote? The torture mother. Okay. Yes. The one that's being paid $20 to watch Sylvia and Jenny. Shortly after leaving John again, she met, had an affair with, and moved in with 23-year-old Dennis Lee Wright. Oh my, so scandalous. Gross. (laughs) 
Her choice of men was atrocious, as Dennis was also abusive. She had her last child, a baby boy named Dennis Jr., and then also had a miscarriage. Dennis would wind up leaving Gertrude, leaving her with no money and no support. Her only financial gain at this point was child support payments from John, when and if he sent them. She also started others' laundry and babysat kids, which was probably the worst job for her to have. With all the stress and heartache her life had brought, her health declined. She was constantly sick, she rarely ate, and her personal hygiene habits truly affected the way that she looked. It caused her to look gaunt and pale. Her hairline also began to recede due to her diminished health. So, this is going to sound super bitchy of me, but from the pictures I've seen of her, mm-hmm. do you remember in Pet Cemetery the yeah, It's sis- funny that you're mentioning because that's what I was exactly the thinking. The sister Zelda yep. upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. That's Gertrude. Yeah, that's like when you were giving the description, I was like, this sounds like yeah. Zelda from just, Pet Cemetery. Just give her like a dark brown mushroom cloud hairdo and you got Gertrude. Okay. Her luck seemingly changed when Lester Likens gave her the opportunity to board his daughters while he, his wife, and his sons went out east to work the carnival circuit. So here is where I'm going to start getting into the interactions between Gertrude, Jenny, and Sylvia. Okay. So Gertrude's the quote-unquote mother. The torture mother. Okay. So now... Yeah, I can't come up with anything. So Gertrude's the torture mother. Mm-hmm. Jenny is... Sylvia's younger sister. Okay, and Sylvia's the oldest. Well, the oldest of those two girls. Okay. I believe that they're the youngest of all of the siblings. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Okay. All right, here we go. You ready? I am. Okay. Even with the stipulation in place that the Likens pay Gertrude $20 weekly... The payments, of course, would stop coming in regularly. Remember, this is supposed to be $20 payments that are coming from people that aren't very well, you know, aren't very good with money. Yeah. So this was bound to happen eventually. Clearly, this would be a legitimate reason for anyone taking care of someone else's children to become upset. I mean, if I was babysitting kids and they didn't pay me, like, I'd probably be, I'd probably be shitty too. So I get that part. She wasn't just shitty. She was downright pissed and took it out on the girls by spanking them with a small board. So the way that the articles that I read described this board is like the boards that the kids in Days to Confused would get like spanked with okay. during hazing and whatever. Right. That's the way that I read it. Yeah, I, I assume that's what it was going to be. It's yeah. like, you know, some farmers, they're, they you know keep their equipment on a shed. Well... For us, we think of a shed as like a little backyard garden shed. And uh-huh. it's like really like a 20 foot long pole barn full of equipment, basically. <laughs> right. So, yeah, when you were saying a small board, yeah. Yeah. I heard like, yeah, this is not, the, not a small board. It, yeah. This is what would be the catalyst for the rest of the abuse the Likens girls would receive. Gertrude was seemingly jealous of Sylvia's beauty and how she carried herself with poison grace. She wanted to be young and beautiful again, but that would never happen. This bitch was ugly inside and out. Like, right. there's no no going around that. Unfortunately for Sylvia, this would mean she would get the brunt of the abuse. She would be targeted far more than Jenny would be. It started just two short months after Sylvia and Jenny went to live with Gertrude. Sylvia had been collecting Coca-Cola bottles to sell that she had gathered from the neighborhood garbage cans. What do you think she wanted to do with these, these Coca-Cola bottles? Um, probably to get money for candy. Ding, ding, ding. She wanted Maybe to some buy. Candy corn. She <laughs> no candy <laughs> corn. 
She wanted to buy herself some candy. So, right. yes, you were right there. If you have not listened to our Halloween episode, you need to go listen to it. That'll make more sense. Yeah. She did want to buy herself candy. Sylvia made a sale and earned enough to get herself and her sister some candy. Afterward, they went home with it, and Gertrude immediately accused them of stealing from the store. This earned Sylvia another beating with the wooden paddle before Gertrude would force her to strip in front of an audience. And here's a trigger warning. Again, it involves a minor. Um, Gertrude forced her to insert a glass Coke bottle into herself while everyone around her watched. What the fuck? Yeah. After all this happened, Sylvia became incontinent. Do you know what that is? No, I do not. Okay, so basically, if you're incontinent, you... I mean, you can use the the toilet, mm-hmm. but you normally either, like, defecate or urinate on yourself. Okay. In, in a depend, a diaper, whatever. So, Gertrude, being the bitch that she is, used it against Sylvia. She called her filthy and, and unworthy of living with other humans, so she wound up locking Sylvia in the basement. There was no plumbing, no toilet of any kind, literally not even a bucket to piss in. Sylvia had no choice where to go, and she wound up urinating and defecating on herself. So, is incontinency, is this like a medical issue that happens on its own, or is this because of the whole Coke bottle incident? Yeah, it's usually medically related, or just being lazy. (laughs) No, I wasn't. In this case, I'm taking being lazy into that. I was yeah. just wondering if it was, yeah, a medical issue that just kind of appears on its own or not. With with her, I'm not sure if it, you know, gave her like PTSD doing mm-hmm. what she was forced to do in front of everybody. I wish I could tell you, but I don't. I don't know what the the cause for Sylvia's was. Okay. So this forced Gertrude to introduce a bathing regimen. Gertrude had a clawfoot bathtub that she would fill with scalding hot water. She would bind Sylvia's ankles and wrists. This way, she couldn't fight back when Gertrude would dunk her into the hot-ass water. This occurred once or twice a day, some days not at all. Paula, Gertrude's daughter, even got to join in on what they considered fun. After these traumatic hot baths, she would rub Sylvia's raw body down with salt. Classy family, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Gertrude would spew off bullshit about sexual immorality as Paula, Gertrude's daughter, Mm -hmm. would stomp on Sylvia's vagina. Paula was pregnant, yet she told her mother that Sylvia was pregnant, so they found ways to mutilate her genitals. She would push and throw Sylvia into and onto furniture. She would practice karate on her, use her as an ashtray, push her off of chairs, yelling at her that she wasn't fit enough to sit in a chair. So after that, Sylvia was allowed to sit on the furniture only when she was given approval first. Paula's brother would force both of the Likens girls to lick the youngest sibling's dirty diapers until they were clean. Gertrude's youngest child. Gertrude herself would put out cigarettes on Sylvia's neck. She made the girls lay across the bed, pull up their own skirts and their underwear down so that she could begin to beat the girls with the wooden paddle when when the first payment failed to arrive. The Lycan sisters were said to have been beaten 15 times that day because Paula, the daughter, had told Gertrude the girls ate too much at a church function. This resulted in Gertrude getting a hot dog, loading it up with every condiment you could have, and forcing Sylvia to eat it. (laughs) Sylvia would wind up eating it, throwing it up, and then being forced to eat her vomit while Gertrude and her children stood around laughing. Jenny was threatened often, 
She was told that if she ever let anyone know what was going on in that house, that she would be the one to hurt Sylvia. Like Gertrude would make Jenny hurt her sister. Jenny had to stand by and watch all of this abuse happening to her sister, and she couldn't bear to think that she would have to be the one to hand that punishment down. She couldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. So she kept her mouth shut. Which was a win-win for Gertrude, as she could continue to abuse and neglect the girls, mainly Sylvia, and get away with it because she knew Jenny wouldn't tell. All of this abuse that was being handed down to the Likens girls was too much for her alone, so Gertrude got herself a 14-year-old personal assistant named Ricky Hobbs to help her deal with Sylvia. Now, I'm not sure if he was terrified of Gertrude or just an asshole that was excited to help her out. People suspected that he became her lover-turned-henchman, basically. Gertrude would wind up telling her children that Sylvia was a prostitute. She propositioned neighborhood kids to come over and sexually violate Sylvia any way they wished to. If they didn't want to violate her sexually, they could always just abuse her. All for the small fee of $5. Ricky Hobbs and another of Gertrude's daughters used a needle to carve I'm a prostitute and proud of it into Sylvia's stomach with a hot needle. All I did was write that thing on her stomach, and then I hit her about 10 or 15 times. How come? Well, most because Gertie told me to. Sylvia's older sister, Diana, had come to visit and was turned away at the door. She snuck food over for her sisters, which Sylvia hid in the basement. There was a neighbor nearby who had reported numerous things to a public health nurse. When the nurse went to the house and was given entry into the home, she was shocked at the fact that Sylvia and Jenny weren't there. Not in the house, not in the basement, nowhere. Gertrude lied, but managed to convince this nurse that the Likens girl had been kicked out of the house. Other neighbors had seen the abuse take place through their windows, but they never reported it because they were in fear for their own lives. So they said nothing. And there was a lot more that happened and a lot more that you can find if you search it, but... <clears throat> I had had my fill of hearing yeah, what had happened to this girl. Because it's, it's already to the point where you've gotten me. I am on the same level of anger as I was listening about Joseph Fritzl over in Europe. With all the trauma that you've already explained, it's like, where the heck, why hasn't anybody fucking said anything? And, and that and they had just started to mention about the neighbors. And, and this is only like yeah. a portion of what happened to this girl. Um, so yeah, if you want to find out even more details, you know, search it. You'll find it. I'd say have fun, but you won't. So with that, I'm going to head to the unfortunate end of the story. Yeah. But before we get into that, it's like, what possesses people to fucking do this shit? The fucking kids. It's like... I don't know. I don't... Yeah, I don't either. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, I, you know, I don't have kids. You don't have kids. Right. But it doesn't take a parent to be absolutely disgusted by people that harm kids for no reason especially babies babies Mm -hmm. are the ones that get me all right a few days before sylvia would pass away gertrude allowed her to sleep inside the house and on a bed again with a twist she would be tied to the bed so she couldn't get up in the middle of the night which was to teach her to not wet the bed she's incontinent she can't hold it if she's got to go she's gonna go well i'm gonna assume gertrude never went to go get this fucking checked out from what everything you told me no, before. No, absolutely not. No, because they'd find the bruises and, no, you know, true. the carving in her stomach. No, she, absolutely not. As she had become incontinent, 
Sylvia would wet the bed. Of course, it's going to happen. This caused Gertrude forcing Sylvia to get naked again. And again, a Coke bottle being inserted. And these aren't like the plastic bottles. These are the no, hard right. this glass. This is what, 1965 you said at the beginning? Or is this... Uh, something like that. Yeah, this, like, I think plastic soda bottles didn't show up until the 90s, I would say. Maybe, yeah. no, probably mid, late 80s, more than likely. Yeah. Sylvia would be sent back to the basement where her sister Jenny visited her that morning. Sylvia told Jenny, I'm going to die, I can tell. Allowed back in the house and on an actual bed again for the next couple of days, Sylvia was given normal baths. Not scalding water, just a normal bath. You're already going to tell us this is leading up to something horrible because I'm not sure that this fucking... Sorry, I'm using the word. This fucking cunt Gertrude has decided to, oh, I've had a change of heart kind of thing. Yeah. Gertrude made Sylvia write a letter to her mom and dad that stated, and this is all, quote, like word for word, the actual letter that she wrote. She was forced to write to her mom and dad. To Mr. and Mrs. Likens. I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said they would pay me if I would give them something. So I got in the car, and they all got what they wanted. And when they finished, they beat me up and left sores on my face and all over my body. And they also put on my stomach, I am a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could do just to make Gertie mad and cost Gertie more money than she's got. I've tore up a new mattress and peed on it. I have also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all of her kids. That That is the letter that she had to write to her parents. So very similar to that same other piece of shit I had just mentioned, Joseph yeah. Fritzl. Yeah. Um, it, as famous as his case is, we're probably not going to do that, and I'm not going to sit through that again, because this is bad enough. I mean, that, yeah. yeah. Like, for those that do, you know, believe in, you know, God and Satan, basically, in, you know, a religious sense, I really hope it's like a little Nikki situation with pineapples up the ass for this fucking cunt. <laughs> She's not still alive, is she? Please tell me she's fucking not. I'll get to all of that stuff. Yeah, so let's keep going on before I start, like, I needing a note, like, in my Halloween notes. (laughs) Gertrude wanted to have some of the boys drop Sylvia's body off at a garbage dump. But Sylvia tried to escape before that could happen. Unfortunately, she was so weak and her body was so mutilated, she only got to the front door before Gertrude caught up to her. She drug Sylvia back inside and tried to get her to eat. When Sylvia declined, Gertrude beat her in the face with a curtain rod. Like an actual curtain rod, like not the cheap little ones that slide in together, you know. I can imagine this is probably like an iron rod. Yeah. You know what I mean? She was again tied up in the basement and offered some crackers as sustenance. Sylvia, the brave girl she was, told Gertrude to give it to the dog. It's hungrier than I am. Saying this truly pissed Gertrude off, so much so that she punched Sylvia in the gut repeatedly. The following day, there were more beatings from Gertrude and her children. This included being hit with a chair, or an attempt anyways, the chair fell apart mid-swing. Gertrude tried to hit her with a paddle, and only wound up hitting her own face and giving herself a black eye. I mean, you know, karma. 
And then a young male stopped over and, using a broomstick, hit Sylvia in the head and knocked her out. The very next day, she was allowed out of the basement again and was given a bath, fully clothed. Why? I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's like, why all of a sudden, the I guess, I don't know, lack of a better term, showing compassion, I guess, or whatever. Not maybe compassion, but... But fully clothed? Yeah. That's not very compassionate when you know the clothes that she's been in, she's... No, wait, I misunderstood that thought. Like you said, she was giving another bath and then was no. Given she clothes. was she okay. was given a bath in all of her okay. dirty clothing. Oh, okay. Yeah. When she was pulled out of the tub and tossed onto her mattress, two of Gertrude's kids realized that Sylvia was not breathing. They did try to do mouth to mouth to resuscitate her to no avail. Sylvia was dead and had been dead for what was determined to be between eight and twelve hours prior to her bath. Gertrude told Ricky Hobbs to call the police. When the police got to the house, Gertrude handed them the letter that she had forced Sylvia to write days before. She was hoping this would immediately clear her of any suspicion of murder. I did never beat that girl. Never. She was beat up on by other girls. In fact, my own daughter stopped in the jaw and broke her wrist. And uh, so, I mean, there you go. And, and, and girls around the neighborhood beat her up. Bloodied her nose. One girl broke her nose, in fact, I think. And then in comes Jenny. She was terrified and sad at the sight of her sister's dead body laying there, but managed to whisper to the police officer, Get me out of here, and I'll tell you everything. Gertrude, her children, and the other kids that came over and helped in the abuse were arrested for murder. Four of the younger ones were charged with injury to person. Thankfully, the kids were more intelligent than Gertrude. And they all confessed to what they did to the Likens girls. They all also said, Gertie told me to, when asked why they did the horrendous things to the girls that they did. This ultimately ensured that Gertrude Beneshevsky would never see the light of day again. Or at least we could hope. Great, I'm not liking how that fucking sounds of you saying that. <laughs> so I'm already thinking, I hope she's like already in an unmarked fucking grave somewhere at this fucking point. <laughs> Gertrude was sentenced to life in prison in a 1971 retrial. She was a model prisoner and was granted parole in 1985. Of course she fucking was. She moved to Iowa and changed her name, and thankfully died of lung cancer in 1990. Still not good enough. She continually denied having anything to do with the abuse done, as well as the death of Sylvia Likens. To me, the fact that she lived until 1990 is super, super aggravating. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't wish cancer upon anybody. No, me neither. But people like this, I hope that they do contract cancer. It is agonizing for them. Yeah. Um, The fact that she got to get out early, live a life outside, Mm -hmm. and die at home peacefully of natural causes is infuriating. When she took the life of a little girl. Gertrude's daughter, Paula got seven years in prison. She wasn't heard from until 2012 when she was found living in Iowa and working in a school as a teacher's assistant, which she thankfully got fired from once they figured out who she was. Right, as I hope they just like, they're like, nope, get the fuck out. Yeah. Um, She was living under a different name and thanks to an anonymous letter the school received, they figured out who she was. Right. And she was, yeah, immediately fired. Her whereabouts are now unknown. She could be your next door neighbor. (laughs) Ricky Hobbs, the one that etched 
I'm a prostitute and proud mm-hmm. of it in Sylvia's stomach. Um, he was sentenced to two years in prison for manslaughter. He lived a shorter sentence than expected. He also died of cancer at the age of 21 in 1972. So, kind of like the aftermath of all of this. Diana, Sylvia and Jenny's older sister, is currently alive, but had a near-death experience in California where she and her husband Cecil got lost and were stranded in their car for two weeks. They lived off of rainwater, a few oranges, and a pie. Cecil did not survive. He unfortunately died of a heart attack after the first week, but thankfully off-roaders found Sylvia's sister. Jenny, the younger sister that wasn't tortured as much as Sylvia, Honestly, I think that she wasn't tortured as much because she had polio and she was already kind of weak and mm-hmm. submissive, I guess, that they felt sorry for her. Um, not much of her life after that whole thing took place is known, but she did pass away at the age of 54 in 2004. Lester, Sylvia's dad, again, not much known about him after the death of his daughter, But he reportedly died in February of 2013 in California at the age of 86. Betty, Sylvia's mom, divorced Lester in 1967. She remarried and then passed away at the age of 71 on May 29th, 1998. She is buried in Crown Hill Cemetery where she and her brother share a headstone. The house that all this happened to stayed standing until 2009 when they tore it down. 2009, they let right. that place stay there. Um, all that's left there is gravel and a parking lot where it stood. Yeah, it should be a parking lot so nothing can be built on top of it again. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the case of Sylvia Likens and the torture bitch. Who's... I'm not going to call her the, the, you know, the other word. No, um, who's buried in Crown Hill? It's Sylvia's? Sylvia's mom. Oh, okay. Her and Sylvia's mom, Betty, and Betty's brother, share a headstone. Okay. Um, uh, if you do search up this case, it like there's no hiding it or anything. Like if you search her name in Google, you're gonna see her death photo, and it's it's haunting. It's really hard to look at. Yeah, I happen to do that because I wanted to see what this cunt Gertrude fucking looked like, and of course, unfortunately, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, that's not what I wanted to see, but since it was right there, I also kind of was curious to see. Is it the picture of her laying on the mattress? Yeah. Yeah. I don't suggest looking it up, but I know that much like myself, some of you weirdos are going to do it. Everyone has a morbid curiosity if you don't want to. But it is, it's, you know what it kind of reminds me of? There are pictures that you see of girls after like exorcisms Mm -hmm. where they're all like gaunt and just. Right dark features and that's right. that's what it looks like it's not it's not a pretty picture yeah this gertrude bitch does look like the zelda? Pre- zelda or a <laughs> precursor to the modern day karen basically <laughs> yes and that she's, picture she's she was karen only she was only 37 years old wait so let me let, i think it still have it open here let me look up it again that is what she looked like at the age of 37 this picture here Yep. That's fucking 37. That is 37 years old. Holy shit. Yeah, and I'm going to be 40 next month, and people are surprised at how old I'm going to be. And they're like, you're almost... Yeah, and then you look at her, and you're like, holy shit, she's only 37? She looks like she's about 70. Right. She's not a pretty lady. 
No. Her insides are just as ugly as her outsides, the bitch. David. Yes. What are you going to talk about today? Well, you know, I, after a visit that we had to Crown Hill, which I believe I've mentioned in a previous episode more than once. Probably. Um, I guess this maybe isn't a quote unquote weird history subject I'm going, but I guess I could call it a road trip kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. Because road trip is, is good. Because Crown Hill Cemetery is something to be seen in person. I mean, you can see, look at pictures of it. But you could never take on how gorgeous Crown Hill, I, oddly as it sounds for, you know, talking about a someone's final resting place. But Crown Hill is probably one of the most gorgeous cemeteries I've ever seen so far. I've been in a lot of cemeteries, and I will agree that that is probably one of the right. prettiest that I have ever yeah. seen. So this was originally going to be a paranormal episode, but after reading about Crown Hill, I was like, this deserves its own episode. Right, and then this was a good tie-in with Sylvia Likens' right. mom, Betty, being buried yeah. there. When I was trying to find information about stories, mostly ghost stories of Crown Hill, just because of how big that place is, yeah. which I'll get into details of how big Crown Hill actually is. It's huge. Yeah, for as long as it took us to drive around in there trying to find the one reason we went there, which happened to find the gravestone of John Dillinger because I had just finished listening to a multi-part series done by a podcast of mysterious circumstances of by the friend of one of our followers and a good friend mm-hmm. of my gaming friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's up noodle? Hey, hey noodle. Yeah, I had to give her a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, with his podcast, mysterious circumstances, he's like a John Dillinger expert basically. But after listening to all his episodes about the life and crimes of John Dillinger and the conspiracy behind John Dillinger's death and his gravesite there, I wanted to go see it for myself when we went down there for yeah. the oddities and like was it curies oddities and curiosities. Yeah, that that expo. Yeah, that one. That was one of those weirdo expo. All right, one of those weird people expos, basically. Freaks come out at night, but in this case, it was during the daytime. Yeah. And fucking hot. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah, it was. Crown Hill Cemetery is located in Indianapolis, Indiana, and was founded in 1863 after the city's main cemetery, Greenlawn, was filling quickly from Union soldiers and Confederate POWs of the Civil War. Also, it was plagued with grave robbing, flooding from the nearby White River, and vandalism of headstones. When the Greenland Cemetery was first planned out in 1821, it was the initial burying place of 1,100 Hoosier pioneers. Now I'm sure you keep wondering why I'm saying it was instead of is. They closed Greenland for new burials in 1890 because of the graves that weren't robbed and all the POW and Union soldier graves there. Okay for new burials, and many of the graves that weren't robbed were moved to Crown Hill after its closure, which is approximately five miles away from where Crown Hill is now. Now, usually what the first thing that comes to mind with me when people say grave robbing is probably, you know, for valuables and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's not what they were robbing graves for. What were they robbing graves for? Literally the cadavers. For what? Indianapolis has multiple medical schools down there. Are you sure it wasn't for Zydrate? Yes, I'm sure there wasn't any little glass vials and stuff like that. Extra points if you guys know what what we're referencing. Yes, one of my favorite movies. 
1931, Greenland was completely abandoned and the bodies of Confederate POWs were moved in the same year to a mass grave known as Confederate Mound inside Crown Hill for industrial development of that area where Greenland was. Mm -hmm. uh, with the poor record keeping of headstones and graves would be discovered throughout the years while developing this land, one of the last graves to be found was in only in 1980, was as early as 1980, not early, as late as 1986 when they were laying fiber optic cable in the area. There were still bodies there? Yep, they still, up until the mid 80s, they still were finding bodies in this. Wow. Like seven acres, if I remember correctly, of how big Greenlawn was. That's a lot of area, though. Yeah, not compared to our main, <laughs> our main attraction of this story here. Right. Which, like I said, I'll get into details of that later on. One of the plots of the area where Green Lawn was is a city park that has a historical marker showing this is where Green Lawn Cemetery was at. Um, over the years, it's been the position for animal control for the Indianapolis area, a baseball field for the Federal League baseball team. That's literally what their name was. They didn't have any other name. Just federal baseball yeah. team? Super plain, just like Washington dealt with until they became the commanders instead of the... After they changed their name from the Redskins. They were mm -hmm. literally the Washington Football League huh. until they came up with the name commanders that they are known as now. And uh, the various industrial and commercial businesses now occupy the land yeah. where Green Lawn was. A three-member board was created and established the non-denominational cemetery on September 25th, 1863. They purchased approximately a 166-acre farm and tree nursery from Martin Williams that was named Strawberry Hill for $51,000. And, of course, you know how most people are curious. Once again, I use an inflation calculator. Approximately $1.1 million in 2022 because wow. I couldn't find an inflation calculator that went back as far, so I went to the closest date that it did, mm -hmm. and that's what it came out to be. Strawberry Hill would later be named... Renamed the Crown. Crown Hill would be officially dedicated on June 1st, 1864. Two days later, Crown Hill Cemetery would actually see its first burial. Wow. That, that's first quick... official burial as Crown Hill Cemetery. Yeah, okay. Uh, and this first burial was a lady by the name of Lucy Ann Seton. She passed away from consumption that's also known as tuberculosis. Crown Hill Cemetery is the third largest non-government cemetery in the United States. At 500 acres and over 200,000 burial plots. It's also divided into 234 sections, and it also has 25 miles of paved roads. That, yeah, that explains. <laughs> yeah. That, this place is huge, but hearing the actual, like, detail of how the huge numbers. it is, is, yeah, it's a big place. It also features 130 different species of trees there as well, and is a refuge for many species of wildlife, that's including white-tailed deer, which is really bizarre for as developed is the area that is uh -huh. in i mean yeah there's i mean it's 500 acres but still fine. it's surrounded by homes and neighborhoods and businesses and heavily trafficked roads yeah also some of the features that you'll find at crown hill would also be a national cemetery for veterans a gothic style chapel built in 1875 and when you're on top of the hill that is known as crown hill it has one great view of downtown indianapolis oh, it's gorgeous and i hate heights i hated driving down it yeah. but being able to see like all of downtown indianapolis mm -hmm. from the top of there kind of really helped ground me i guess yeah but yeah that's very angle, high up the angle that my truck was at going up and uh -huh. down you're just like 
nope, nope, nope. You didn't even have to say it. I could see it out of the corner of my eye, just the way you were gripping the door. Uh, yeah. There's also quite a few notable figures and inventors that, that are laid to rest in Crown Hill. Um, I compiled a small list just to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, no, we won't do that. I won't say kind of quiz you on to see if you know who these people are. Just ask me. Right. I guarantee I'm going to fail, but at least I'll try. Well, some of them I will. <clears throat> well, one of these are probably you've heard of. One, two, maybe. Okay. Um, so some of the notable figures, there's a long list of them, but these are the ones that I found most interesting. That, mm -hmm. So I've added these. Um, NASCAR's first commissioner, he was a motorcycle racer. Before that, his name of Irwin Cannonball Baker, inventor of the popular game Sudoku, Howard Garns. Ah, okay. Inventor of the Gatling gun for our military enthusiasts, Richard Jordan Gatling, the 23rd United States President Benjamin Harrison. So I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to see what he's, see if you can guess who the, he's the founder of. Okay. Lyman S. Ayers. Say it again. Lyman S. Ayers. I've never heard the name. L.S. Ayers Department Stores. Never heard of it. No? Nope. I thought they were more of a national chain, I guess, than I thought. LGBTQ and AIDS activist Christopher T. Gonzalez, women's rights activist May Wright Sewell, poet Jane Whitcomb Riley. He's also he's known best for his comic strip turned into Little Orphan Annie. And that's the one at the top of the hill. Yes. yes. And that oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, that was his gravesite at the top of the crown. The crown. That hill. whole thing in the middle was his. The with the statue of the child the reading. Girl reading. Yes. Oh, that, that was, was beautiful. His, that was his. His grave site. Um, the co-founder of every basic white bitch in the United States' favorite store to go shopping at. And I'm not meaning Starbucks. I'm meaning Target stores. But you're not wrong. All right. He was also the founder of another department store chain similar to Target. It was called Venture. <laughs> what? <laughs> in my head, I'm like, I was about to be like, Starbucks. It wasn't Starbucks. It was Target. But... <laughs> Starbucks is always in Target, right. so I get it. Of course, I had mentioned this man, na man's name already, and that would be John Dillinger, a notorious bank robber during the Great Depression. Crown Hill Cemetery is mentioned briefly in the book The Fault on Our Stars, which is written by John Green. I love that book. For those that have not read the book, this is the where Crown Hill is mentioned is in this. This is where the main character's love interest is buried. In a gray site facing 38th Street. Aww. Now, I also figured with Crown Hill covering 500 acres and having 200,000 burials that there might be a ghost story or two of this place. And that's how this originally started out to be. Uh -huh. And then just trying to find these ghost stories and all the other information I found out about it. That's how I came to be this being its own thing. Mm -hmm. One of the ghost stories is a legend that surrounds the mausoleum of state representative Caleb Bloodsmith, which is kind of a badass name, having blood is in your name. Caleb Bloodsmith. Now, was this like nickname or was that his actual middle that, name? From all the sources that I read about trying to see, find a consistency, it all said Caleb Bloodsmith. Huh. Yeah. His mausoleum is made of sandstone and is of Egyptian-style architecture. Some of the spots of the foundation of his mausoleum have what they would call a fire-blackened appearance, and in some of the recent more pictures, they've cleaned all of this up. But with the way the legend is that the African-American community believed that Caleb Smith was a conspirator of the Lincoln assassination, so they would come and 
burn fires to keep his spirit from leaving the mausoleum and haunting Indianapolis. Oh. But it was never... I'm going to guess this actually does come from the religious beliefs of voodoo and voodoo and stuff like that. Okay. It can never be confirmed if Caleb Smith actually was involved with his Lincoln assassination, but the records do show that he was his secretary of interior and close friend of his at the time. Uh, Caleb Blood Smith's remains are not even there. They don't even know where they're at. Really? Now, recent pictures, like I said, have they've cleaned up and restored the outside of it, so this legend's kind of debunked. Outdated. Oh, uh, maybe even they debunked that depending on the type of stone that they use, because black being exposed to the elements probably over time anyhow. It could, yeah. Section 10 is designated as a national cemetery that holds the remains of 800 Union soldiers from the Civil War. It is also believed that removing the remains from Green Lawn to Crown Hill Cemetery caused unrest with their spirits and reports from visitors seeing them in their Union uniforms, wandering the grounds, and also carrying out military drills from their time. I can understand that. Yeah, I'd be pretty shady too. Yeah. Section 32 of Crown Hill Cemetery is designated as a mass grave for the 600, 1600 Confederate soldiers that were POWs at Camp Morton located north of Indianapolis are also buried here after they were relocated from Greenlawn. The spirits of these Confederate POWs have been spotted roaming the grounds and oddly in the parking lot near the gra- their grave site for the rightful burial spot. Now this next part might be slightly sad and upsetting to some listeners. Section 37 of Crown Hill Cemetery holds a mass grave of unorphaned children. These orphaned children reportedly died from starvation, abuse, or illness while in the care of the orphanages around the Indianapolis area. Their graves do not have a name on them, just a number. But thankfully, in 2006, a college student was doing research for an old land deed for a children's home that they were an intern at and found 67 unmarked graves in a different location of crown hill so this intern kept digging through more records after they found this first initial 67 and they kept continuing finding more and more records of these these unmarked graves basically until they found a mass grave and the age range of these children that are buried here is a two only a few months old all the way up to this old as 15 Um, today this mass grave of children is marked by three black granite monoliths which were Going to have pictures of all the stuff posted too. Is that the one that I saw? Yeah, that's the one you asked me about when I was. At least when you post them, I can see them better. The center stone houses a bronze sculpture of a boy and a girl hand in hand, and the five foot stones are, and the stones are five foot in height, on either side, with all names of the six hundred ninety nine children that are in this mass grave. Six hundred ninety nine. Holy shit. Uh, this memorial is named Hearts Remembered. The sounds of children running along with cr- crying and or screaming as well have been heard around this. Some of the other paranormal events that have happened in that area, which are the most common things that always happen with all hauntings, mm-hmm. or well, maybe not hauntings, or paranormal stories, um, included orbs have been seen, disembodied voices and whispers have been heard, and strange winds on calm nights. Also on more than one occasion, a woman carrying a woman carrying a baby has been seen crying for help or humming has been spotted as well. That's sad. Yeah, but I think every very large cemetery has something similar to this, or you more know, more than likely, or the you know the 
lady in white that gets in the backseat for you know, the hitchhiker yeah. story, basically. I'm sure every state has that story. Not saying that it's a not variation of it, anyway. A variation of it, or it could be a blue dress or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not taking it away from all that. Yeah. But I have a little trivia question for you. Okay, dope. Do you know what the difference between a cemetery and a graveyard is? Yes. What's that? Um, graveyard is on the property of the church. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But they also can be interchanged, basically, also. How so? That's just words can be interchanged for using cemetery and graveyard. But graveyard is mostly associated being attached to a church. Right. And the word cemetery comes from the Latin word. I actually had this practiced out, and I cannot remember how to do it. Comitarium, which translates into sleeping place. Oh, that's pretty, though. Um, Wait, comitarium? Yep, C-O-E-M-E-T-E-R. I-U-M. Huh. After trying to find the information about this, and, like, they put in there, it's like, a garden, a lawn-style cemetery. I was like, okay, what is technically that? And then led me into all the different other types of cemeteries, and that could possibly be a whole other episode, because in London, England, they actually had what they called the Railway for the Dead. London's Railway for the Dead, huh? Yep. Did you say London or England? London, England, they okay. had a railway for the dead, basically. Uh-huh. And what's this? So, Is this going to be something you talk about I eventually? Know, this may or may not be something to talk about eventually. Then don't tell us. Well, I'm not going to, because <laughs> I'm going to probably do an episode on cemeteries and whatnot. That'd be cool. And they want to include that because there's not much information on it, but it's interesting enough as it is to put it into the episode about cemeteries. Nice. So. We like cemeteries. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of regular weirdos. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the people that are listening to us are a bunch of regular weirdos, too. Obviously they are if they're listening. Right. You know, because we've mostly invited them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know there might have been some that have found us on our own. That's and... true. They have. So that was pretty interesting. Yep. You're definitely going to have to do an episode on the cemetery yeah. stuff of your choosing. With doing the research for Crown Hill, like I had also learned that Certain types of older headstones actually have meaning behind them, too, which I'm not going to go into that now, but I will in that episode. Like the shape of them or mm-hmm. something? Yep. Nice. Like, you've know, probably seen some that look like a tree trunk and stuff like that. There's yeah, actually, I love those. There's actually a meaning behind those. Oh, well, don't save, save oh, it for the I'm, episode. I'm going to. I'm curious, but save it. All right. So, to round out the episode. Also, before I get into that, good job. That was a lot of Thank you. information. Yeah. Makes me want to go back and kind of roam around longer and no, I'm sure more I'd... thoroughly. Um, also, I did. I just remember this. That I forgot to put a note in that during the month of October, there is a Storytellers Guild of Indianapolis that they host live events where they tell ghost stories. Not, <sighs> not ghost stories of Crown Hill, but ghost stories inspired by Crown Hill on the grounds of Crown Hill after dark. And you're just now telling me? Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> the fuck i meant to have put that in my notes and i totally forgot to and ah. just i have my squirrel moments with my seventeen thousand browser tabs open for one story you also forgot to tell the girlfriend and october's almost over so you fucked up there <laughs> <laughs> we had other stuff going on this month i know we do have a youtube that is just you know the audio track to this you can find that by searching macabre emporium 
You can join our Facebook group also by searching Macabre Emporium. And I just made us a Twitter that you can follow at Macabre Emporium. If you follow us anywhere, remember to like rate wherever you listen to us, share our episodes, share our group, just anything you can to help us grow our little baby podcast. And on that note, I think it's time to close the shop. What do you think, David? That's my line. What are you doing? We're flipping the script. What? Well, we gotta go back to the old one at this point. <laughs> no. No. And on, and on that note... Always remember to keep it real. Uh-huh. Bye! Bye! Would you hurry up? Now I gotta read the whole fucking part over again because someone just had to throw up. Finally, thank you.